amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Squawker Talker preview of both the Champions League and Europa League finals. This special episode is brought to you by our sponsors, William Hill. And don't forget, you can download the William Hill Sports Betting app to put the world of betting at your fingertips. That's available on the Apple App Store and Google Play. You must be over 18 to download it and please gamble responsibly. All odds mentioned during the podcast were correct at the time of recording. Right then, the end of the season brings about two major European showpiece finals. And it's set to be an all-Premier League affair in Portugal as treble chasing Manchester City take on Thomas Tuchel's Chelsea. That's in the Champions League final. Pep Guardiola's side obviously looking to secure their first ever Champions League with Chelsea. They're aiming to bounce back from that defeat in the FA Cup final to Leicester City. We'll be taking an inside look at some of the key battles that are expected in that one as Kevin De Bruyne and N'Golo Kante go head to head in midfield. There's also an intriguing battle emerging with an England edge Teammates Phil Foden and Mason Mount will also face off, and that's all to come in part one. And then in part two, we turn our attentions to Gdansk and the Europa League final. Manchester United boss Ole Gunnar Solskjaer aiming to secure his first title as the boss man at Old Trafford, and they find themselves up against La Liga side Villarreal and the serial, serial Europa League winner, that is Unai Emre. Right then, my name's Fergal Brennan, and joining me, we have Squawker regulars, the Kingpins, Mohamed Butt and Harry Edwards. Mo, we're going to go to you first on this. Two massive finals coming up in the next few weeks. Are you excited? I'm very excited, Fergal. Yeah, mate. Harry, two big games, Gdansk and, and, uh, and Porto are going to be the host. We now know they're confirmed as it. Three Premier League teams involved. It was almost an all-Premier League setup. Uh, despite Arsenal losing to Bidereal, but it's set to be a really exciting end to the season and it, it's still quite difficult to call how it's going to end up. Yeah, um, and it, it's good to see, you know, a throwback to 10, 15 years ago where England were dominating the final stages of of the Champions League, certainly. So it's good to see um, the Premier League back up there. and And like you said, we've got, you know, four teams... You know, any two of them can can win it. Continuing the theme uh, with you guys, you two are both nice guys. King kingpins, we called you at the start, but really, you're nice guys. That's that's what I'd use to describe you. And one of football's nicest guys is going to be on display in the Champions League final. And Golo Kante, I don't know any football fan, any Premier League fan, any part-time football fan that even takes a fleeting interest in football that does not love Golo Kante. Everything he does on the pitch, off the pitch, he seems like the most pleasant fella to be around. And Paul Pogba, who's his international teammate for France, came up with a fantastic quote. He said, the most beloved soccer player in history, it has to be Ungolo. Now, obviously, he's well-placed to him. He's friends and, and teammates with him for, for Didier Deschamps' side. But he's so well-respected that during the FA Cup final, there was a brilliant moment when Ben Chilwell was subbed on for Chelsea and he, everything he did was booed. Angolo Kante played the full 90 minutes and the Leicester fans had nothing but praise for him. Mo, football needs a few nice guys. Is Kante the nicest guy in football? If it's not him, he's either one or two, right? There's no one. It's only Juan Mata that's anywhere near Kante's level. Like you look at the the absolute nicest guys in football. Uh, Sadio Mane is is getting up there. I think he's a very, very lovely person as well. But Kante is just, has, it's just an overwhelming generosity of spirit. He plays, and unlike Mata, he plays defensive midfield. So it's it's almost even easier to appreciate how nice he is because he doesn't even play in a role that really, provides glory you know he plays in a role where, where he's like you're, you're the unsung role he's just there to provide energy for everyone else he's so he's so wonderful like honestly that like, you just look and you look at i just remember go back to the world cup uh, when france won and that they had that song about how he beat he was better than messi and or he beat messi where it was and like his face when they'd sing it he was so embarrassed by that and it's like you're so good how are you so absurd like comedically humble almost like he's like the, the ideal 
uh, 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 humble superstar. But Mata, I would I would argue, is just just as lovely, just as humble, just as selfless in giving to his teammates. Started the Common Gold Initiative. Uh, where footballers donate one percent of their salary. That's fantastic. So I think Mata is the only rival. Uh, no one else comes even close. I think. Oh, Harry, we're going to continue the Kante loving, looking ahead to the game, because one of the big subplots before the final is his journey to it and alongside Riyad Mahrez. And their paths were joined for a time. They've obviously gone their separate ways, Kante at Chelsea and Riyad Mahrez at City. But this journey that's brought them to the biggest game in European football has started in fairly humble beginnings in the second division in France. Obviously, they were both part of that incredible title winning story at, at Leicester City. Kante moved on immediately after that and joined Chelsea and Mares a little bit later heading to heading to the Etihad. Both of them have had this massive domestic success winning the Premier League title, but neither of them have won a Champions League. And it it almost seems like destiny that they have to meet again in this final. And we all look forward to subplots and the little stories ahead of major finals. This is as good as it gets. Yeah, yeah, like you said, you know, um They've both been on very similar journeys, and I think, you know, obviously, like you, like we've we've already mentioned, everybody loves Conte, um, um I think people are starting to appreciate Riyad Mahrez more. You know, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't have the nice guy you no know, aura that that Angola Conte has, but I think people are appreciating what he can do for Man for Man City, and it has been, you know, it's been a been a long and tough journey for him um again Kante moved straight to to Chelsea after winning the league with Leicester Mahrez stayed there for a bit longer and you know I think I think Mahrez can be a bit underappreciated by those outside Man City because he had the slow start at City um well statistically slow start he wasn't bringing the same numbers in his first season at Man City that um as he did in the title-winning season at Leicester, um, and obviously, you know Pep Guardiola with his rotations, you know, Mares, any other player can score, you know, two, three goals in the in five games, and just because that's how Guardiola's got to fit in his team, they're out. Um, so I think, you know, it's like I said, very, very similar journeys. Kante. You know, he's probably the reason this Chelsea side are where they are. Um, and then the same could be said about Mahrez, you know, his record in the knockout stages to get City here. You know, one of them's one of them's got to do it. But the question is who? Yeah, I mean, you look at Mahrez, uh, these are both big game players, right? Like Kante obviously won a World Cup. Uh, Mahrez won an, won an African Cup of Nations for Algeria, scored in the final. Uh, you know, but then you look at them this season, obviously they've been forming distantly. Kante just devoured the entire Real Madrid midfield. The same Madrid midfield who had their sort of renaissance against Liverpool and thinking, oh, maybe they're not a bunch of old guys. You know, they really did really did a number on Liverpool. Tony Cruz in particular, his passing was outrageous. Those guys didn't get a second to breathe against, against Chelsea. Kante was just all over them. And more than just being all over them, he was then driving the ball into the final third, laying it off. He was... Like it was almost impossible. When I, was, I was covering the games. It was impossible for me to write about it as like as in he was a normal human being. It was like this is un. This is like Roy Keane in Turin twice, like within the space of a week. It was ridiculous what he was doing, and it was just this guy is amazing, and he's so humble with it. Riyad Mahrez, though, again, he was the decisive figure um, in in the semi final win of, over PSG. Three goals, like you know, if if anyone else had scored three goals in the Champions League semi final, we'd be like going oh. Like literally only one player in history has scored more goals in every single two-legged Champions League semi-final. It was Lewandowski against uh, Real Madrid, and he scored four goals in one game. No one, you know, no one has scored more goals over a single two-legged Champions League final than Riyad Mahrez, except for Lewandowski. That's that's how good he was. That's how decisive he was. And okay, fine. The wall for his free kick was. I mean, we could charitably be described as as existing. It was like Schrodinger's wall. But, you know, he was still brilliant. He was constantly making runs. He was providing the threat. And this is what Reid Morris does, I think, that is, is unsung. And obviously, in his first season, he did struggle to adapt to Pep's system. His defining cap in input to that year was missing the penalty against Liverpool, skying it over the bar. And you're thinking, oh, goodness me, Riyad, you know, what, what's going on here? Mm. But he's grown and grown. He's you know grown into the system, and it reminds me almost of Eric Abidal. The way he was at Barcelona when Pep Guardiola took over, Eric Abidal for the first year, two years under Pep was not very good. Didn't seem to get it. Looked kind of lost. 
you're thinking, and you know, Pep was playing Melito at left back, Puyol at left back, Maxwell. I, you know, he wasn't. But then in the third year, suddenly Abidal just turned like a light switch. It turns on, and he then suddenly literally became one of Barcelona's best players. And I think the same thing has happened to Mares. The first year he didn't get it at all; he was struggling. Second year he's really improved. This year he's just been flipping outrageous. He's been so good. It's like it's it's whenever he plays, you're like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. He's been so good that it's like there's no room for Raheem Sterling in the lineup. Now I know everyone says that Foden has benched Sterling, and we'll get more into that later, but. You know, you would think, oh, Foden's, uh, we've got to play Foden, but then you can play Sterling on the right like he used to when he, when Sonny was bursting through. But there's no room for him because Mares is so lights out on the right. You can't play him there. It's like, th- this is how good Mares has been, and he's just so consistent and he's so decisive. When we look at some of the big stories, obviously, Kante Mares is, is something that gets so much focus, but. Harry, Sergio Aguero is bringing down the curtain on his Man City career this summer. We now know that he's not going to sign a new uh, contract. He's going to leave after 10 years. And the Champions League is the one trophy that he hasn't got his hands on. And the famous quote has been doing the rounds in the last few weeks that he said he wouldn't leave Manchester City until he'd won the Champions League. And now he's never going to have another chance and he's never going to have a better chance to do just that. And it almost seems set up for a, a bit of a fairy tale end for him. He's played a bit part role this season, as Mo mentioned. Pep Guardiola's used different players and looked to use a different a- attacking system. And that meant that Aguero's probably lost out. But his record stands up to anybody. He's tied with Didier Drogba for the most Champions League goals for an English club, 36. A nice goal in the final would, would tip him over. And when you look at the situation that City have found themselves in, they've been so geared to winning the Champions League and Aguero has been such a key part of that throughout all of these years. If you believe in any sort of magic being left in football, you believe in Aguero scoring. Yeah, and you, you mentioned Drogba there. You only need to look at the 2012 final when it was Drogba who who scored the equaliser for Chelsea against Bayern who who scored the equaliser for Chelsea. And then scored the winning penalty as well. Um, in although his his departure wasn't confirmed at the time, I think Chelsea fans had, you know, they'd prepared themselves for Drogba leaving that summer. So this was all, um, you know, his final kick of the ball. Forget that he came back a couple of years later, but you know, at that time, it was it was the story, and you know, in. In the build-up to that final, it was Drogba who who got Chelsea through key moments. And although Aguero hasn't, like like you've already said, um, you know he's been a bit a bit part player this season because one because there are better players, but also he's been you know struggling with the injuries. But anyone you know people always talk about football. You write a script, you know it all signs off the pitch point to Aguero doing something you know he loves playing against Chelsea again another you know a thorn in Chelsea's side given the fact that they basically picked Drogba over Aguero when they had the chance to sign Aguero in the 2010-2011 he was was begging Chelsea to sign him wasn't he at the time and they were like nah we'll stick we'll stick with Didier and yeah he scored he, well, he scored 15 goals against Chelsea. That's more than no uh, level with Newcastle for the club he scored the most against as a club, as a player. You know, so admittedly, two of those came for Atletico Madrid, not for not all for Man City, but 15 goals in what is it, 22 games? That's pretty healthy, right? Like um, that's pretty that's pretty healthy. Although the last of those was in 2019, I think. So in the six 0 win. So let's see. But look, I. Like Harry says, like he's, it's a fairy tale thing, right? Like this guy, he's been a legendary striker, the best striker in the history of Man City. You know, 10 years ago was Aguero. Well, nine years ago was, was the legendary when he won the league title for them with that last minute goal. He's been been immense. He probably gave them their first sort of iconic Champions League moment when he scored that hat-trick against Bayern Munich, which could have sent them through, but then didn't because Pellegrini didn't underscore or whatever that, that thing was. So... You know he's he's been a big figure, but in this in this season he's 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 barely played, right? He's been mostly on the bench, uh, sitting around, whether through injury or just not selection. Pep hasn't been playing; he's been going strikerless. Again, more on that later. And it's just uh, it's just it's it's interesting to see. Like, we all want it to be a romantic ending, but will he even get on the pitch? That's that's my main. That's what I'm thinking. He's not going to start. We 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 can almost that's guarantee he's not going to yeah. start. Right. The question then becomes: Is he going to 
come on. And again, I would also probably say no, like unless it's really desperate and like Chelsea are winning one 0 and there's like five minutes left, then Pep might be like, all right, go on, Sergio, like get on. But unless it's that, or unless City are winning like three nil and there's five minutes left, basically he's only playing for like five ten minutes maximum at the end of the game. If if either City are way ahead and like just cruising and having a laugh, or if it's ve- they need a goal basically, and he's like, oh, I'm getting desperate now, I may as well send you on because the way City have been set up this year, it, they don't need a striker, they don't want a striker. That's not how. You know, I mean, they can play that way. We saw against Crystal Palace. He can still go. He can still score when he plays, right? But it, the City, the, the main 11, don't play that way anymore, uh, um, at least not this season. And so it's it's going to be funny because Guardiola is often talked about being a football romantic, but this is, you know, he's completely <laughs> anti-romance. He's like killing romance. Like, nah, mate, you know, go away, Sergio. No, this is my team. This is my team. You're, you're going to bet. You can come for five minutes. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Um, you know, but he's done, you know, he's obviously done for like in the 2011 final, uh, Carlos Puyol, obviously Barca captain. Um, the last time Pep was in a Champions League final, um, he was obviously injured. He, he'd been injured all season, had injury problems, kind of like Aguero this season, was still a totemic figure in the locker room. And, and Guardiola brought him on for the last five minutes for Eric, uh, right at the very end, uh, just to bring him on when Barca already threw one up. So again, if, if City can get into a comfortable position and be three one up, yeah, we'll see Aguero come on and it'll be lovely and fans will cry and he, you know, he might cry Maybe not. Unless it's that situation, he probably won't even play. It's, 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 you know, he's Pep is anti narrative. He's anti narrative. Harry, when you look at the performances that Chelsea have pulled in over Tuchel since he came in in January, we're talking about this potential fairy tale for Aguero and getting the winning goal. And, and Mose even said if there's quite a few goals scored and he, he might get a little run out for the last 10 or 15 minutes if City are cruising. But Based on the numbers for, for both teams in terms of defence, it's unlikely that there is going to be a flood of goals. John Stones and Ruben Diaz have formed this fantastic partnership for City. 13 clean sheets in the 20 games that they've completed a full 90 together, just eight goals let in. And then Chelsea, on the other hand, it has notably improved under Tuchel. But Edouard Mendy's just one clean sheet away from the most ever clean sheets kept in a single Champions League season. That would be a big record for him to break. And when you look at the two teams, they, they have a huge amount of attacking flair and potential to score goals, but their respective defences are so good that it's hard to see a situation where we're seeing four or five goals scored in the final. You know, for both teams, the defence has been um, really important this season. I think for Man City, a bit like Liverpool in the Premier League when, when they won it, um, it took a couple of years. You know, they had the attacking trio but they needed Virgil van Dijk. You know, Man City, they have, you know, they have everyone, let's just say, but they needed Ruben Diaz. You know, he was he was the final piece of that puzzle and, you know, he's brought order to their defence, whether he's playing alongside John Stones, who's having arguably his best season at Man City so far, or if I'm Eric Laporte comes in, you know, even after after weeks, months out, it looks like he's he's never left. Um, and then Chelsea, you know, defence was was the biggest problem under Lampard. Um, you had, well, you know, like I said, they had the, the strength in the attack, the players that they bought over the summer, um, you know, and it works to an extent. You know, if you can play what, I think I'm alone in calling Vindaloo football. We'll score one more what, than you. What a banger. You know, what a banger. Shout out to Fat Les. <laughs> um, Get that trademark now. Yeah. But Chelsea, yeah, but, um, Chelsea weren't Chelsea weren't scoring. So the, the defence and last season, Kepa wasn't, you know, he had his moments where unfortunately he was, he was at blame. And, you know, you say about Mendy, Mendy's been brilliant. Um, do we say that just because, you know, he isn't Kepa and the standards are pretty low? Maybe, maybe a little bit, but you've you've also got to give Mendy the credit he deserves. Um he's got the he's got the best save percentage in the Champions League among those who have made, you know, ten um ten or more saves, so you know, no one save wonder. He's um saved made thirty saves from thirty three shots on target, so of of the four goals that Chelsea have conceded, he's only let in three. One was a Karim Benzema 
you know, wonder strike. What Mendy has, so if I could just jump in, what Mendy has, I think that that that, that Kepa doesn't is is it's also what Ruben Diaz has that John Stones and, and Laporte doesn't is that I think he's a communicator. I think he's very organised, and I think that 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 is so important. Because we did an interview. Jake did, Jake Wentworth did an interview with Jose Font where he talked about him, and obviously Jose Font has basically mentored the two big, two best centre backs in the Premier League. Uh, the most recent, the most recent ones, Virgil van Dijk and uh, Ruben Dias, and he said that what defines them, what, what they share, is communication. Their concentration is very good too. Concentration is very important, but they're communicating. They're always communicating, talking, talking, talking. Where's this? Where's that? Whenever you hear Rio Ferdinand talk about how great his Man United defenses were, it's always about we always communicate. Me and Van der Sar, me and Vidic, we're always talking, talking, talking. I, I don't know. That's what many does. I think I assume that's what many does because the effect he has on the Chelsea defence. I know that's what uh, Ruben Diaz does because Jose Font said so. And I assume that's what Mendy does. And I think that's what Thiago Silva brings as well a little bit when he comes in. I mean, because I don't think, I think actually as a 1v1 defender, I think he's pretty, pretty robbery still. We saw West Brom have had great fun with him this season. But uh, as a communicator, he's next level. And you look at as Peter Quest has always been playing Wing back, right back, right back, centre back. As Pilica is, and he, we know he's a talker as well. I mean, you can hear him from the watching the games. You know, so it, communication is the key that I think has enabled unlock Chelsea's defensive power, and it's also definitely the key that's that's made City such a formidable defensive unit. And that a bit, and it's it's been quite ironic as well because this is the this is the one season where we can hear them communicate. Like normally, you know, the fan always drowns it out. And it's, you know, it's almost the case of maybe not having fans in there has helped City with this communication. Maybe if they couldn't hear John's, uh, Ruben Diaz as clearly, maybe they would still be a bit of a mess. Uh, I mean, Chelsea, I, I, you know, I don't know. But it's, it's just funny how communication is such an underrated part because you never think about, like, talking to your teammates. Uh, like I mean, to use a Chelsea example, John Terry, right? When you think, of, oh, what made John Terry a great defender? Well, he was fantastic at tackling, fantastic in the air, and he could ping cross the balls with his left foot, amazingly enough, like easily. What made John Terry a great defender was that he was yap 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 talking to everybody, telling everyone where to stand, and organizing. Which he learned from Ricardo Carvalho, Marcel Desai. I mean, some of the best mentors you could ask for. So, communication is 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 what's so important to the defenses, and I think Mendy. Ruben Diaz, I think they've really brought that to the Blues. Obviously, we've talked about the situation with Kante and Mares and how their careers have followed a similar path, the Guerrero's fairy tale. But an interesting subplot, Harry, that's coming in in terms of the build up to the final, which was have England fans licking their lips ahead of Euro 2020 this summer, is Phil Foden versus Mason Mount. And one of the best parallels you can draw between them 2017 was a fantastic year for England at an underage level. Phil Foden was named Golden Ball winner as England won the Under-17 World Cup at the same time when Mason Mount was being named Golden Player as England won Under-19 at European level. So there's a lot of comparisons that have been drawn between the two of them so far this season. And you, by virtue of being a Chelsea fan, we're putting you on Team Mount. Mo, that means that you're going to have to be Team Foden. We're going to go with Mount first because given the fact that he's ending the season so strongly, he's had to kind of put up with these rumours of the situation with Frank Lampard before he was sacked as his position as Chelsea boss. Would Thomas Tuchel rely on him as much? And he stepped up and he's proved to any Chelsea fans that potentially doubted him and also to Tuchel that he's that he's up to the job. And you just look at some of his numbers. He's the only player in the team with over 60 tackles. He's the only player with over 60 chances created or 60 shots in the Premier League this season. He's all action and he just looks determined to prove a bit of a point. Yeah, I think those that have followed Mount's career, um, especially Chelsea fans, because they've got that added interest, will have seen him, you know, thrive on loan at, at Vitesse. And Vitesse gets a lot of stick for the connection with Chelsea, but he 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 was brilliant there at, at Derby County in the Championship. And, you know, I think it, it was that season with Derby though that kind of counted against him, because I think that was where the... Oh, Lampard's son came in. Um, Chelsea fans the season before had had you know called Jorginho Maurizio Sarri's son um, because of how he used him at Napoli, and there seemed to be um, almost a stubbornness to play Jorginho no matter what what the game required. And there was a time where, particularly more last season, where Lampard looked to be you know, trying to put Mount wherever he could in a team. And so people thought that that was favouritism. But for me, personally, that was more because 
you need Mount in your team. So, you know, because what because of what he can bring, you know, you've, we've said the stats. He is, you know, fairly good in attack. You know, he's not quite there yet. I think people want him to be the next Frank Lampard. He's not got those goals. Um, and I think his assists have been hampered slightly by the fact that, you know, he, he plays deep sometimes. He play, He's played on the wing where he can't get into the game as much. And his defensive responsibilities sometimes, he's just there to, you know, either track back or press really high. So goal scoring is not his, his main aim. Um, but I think that's what makes Mount so good that you can play him wherever. And, you know, even when Southgate started playing, playing Mount, there was still, you know, um, Lampard's son, Southgate's son. You can't really call him Thomas Tuchel's son. You know, I think it's just finally now with Tuchel that other fans outside of Chelsea and those who really, you know, watch Chelsea games. I was a huge, uh, not huge, but I was a sizable, mid-size, you know, reasonably sized Mount critic. Uh, just because when, wa- when I watch him, it wasn't so much that I, d- I didn't appreciate that he had talent. It was just the fact that I was watching him. So he runs around loads and that is that why Lampard always starts him. And then what dawned on me as Tuchel stuck over was that he ran around a lot because that was the chaos of Lampard's team. There was no organization in that side. So literally applying energy, which is what he did, was the best way to get that team going. And now you look at him under Tuchel. The comparison to him, I think, is not Lampard. It's not Gerard. It's Deco. I think that's the most play he most reminds me of. Because he can dribble with the ball surprisingly well. You, you look at him thinking he's not much. And he just glides past people. He made, made a fool out of Fernandinho in the FA Cup semi repeatedly put Tony Cruz on the ground a couple of times in Champions League. So he can dribble with the ball. He defends very well. He can score goals, but he's not a goal scorer. He's not going to score like 50 goals, you know, 20 goals, 30 goals like Lampard does. He can score goals. He can create goals. He's good at set pieces. And this is the thing we need to start doing with English players more is comparing them to people that aren't English because the, this current generation of English talent we've got coming through, and again, this segues nicely into Foden, is the fact that they're not they're so much more technical and technically talented and tactically aware than, than almost any generation that's come before them in terms of, of understanding how the game is played. Like a lot of English players, there was always the joke about English players, pace and power, aggression, loads of intensity, but not necessarily tactically understanding, not so much, right? Uh, that was, the, gener- that was the, the sort of stereotype that English players had fallen into, especially midfielders, Gerard Lampard, great examples. Um, but, you know, the, this, this new generation of players, man, they're different gravy. They're completely different. And I think that Mount genuinely reminds me of Deco. And I just think it's, he's such a, he's, a, he's impressed me so much. I can, I, you know, I was a, I was a critic. I am now full, full believer. Starting for England, starting for Chelsea, Mason Mount, very good. We've kind of put you down as de facto team Foden as well, Mo, because obviously Harry with his with his Chelsea connections is is going to back Mount and the performances that he's had this season, you can, you can see where that comes from. But, there's arguably no better example of, of that point that you mentioned about English players being criticised for for a lack of technique over the years. The antithesis to that is is Phil Foden. Pep Guardiola obviously resisted these calls to send him out on loan and toughen him up and get some experience, et cetera, et cetera. And that's borne fruit in his performances this season because he's been absolutely central to everything they've done in winning the Premier League title and now reaching a, a Champions League final. And Guardiola's so good in these situations at making these decisions. He he won't be pressurised into, as we say, sending a player out on loan or doing something different with him. And one of the best examples of that with Foden is that no player has scored more goals under the age of 21 for Pep Guardiola than uh, some fella called uh, Lionel Messi. I mean, you know, what you mean? Foden has beaten Messi's, <laughs> Messi's record, you mean, uh, under Guardiola? Oh, he's no, level, he's, he's level with I mean, there you go. Any, any time you're level with Messi, that you know you've done something very impressive. Uh, look, no, yeah. The, yeah, Foden is is a great example of what I meant by English players are different gravy now. Like that, he, you know, the, the big the big joke was uh, <laughs> the, the, the players like he's Phil from Stockport after the after the semi final win. It was like oh, he's Phil from Stockport. Yeah, it's just like yeah, okay, <laughs> all right, calm down. But yeah, he is Phil from Stockport, and he is he's very very talented. He's very skillful, and and they've, they've brought him along at the exact right moment, and it's amazing because obviously everyone doubted God. and God was like, "Look, just shut up. Foden's very good. Relax, relax, relax. Trust me." And yeah, I like think you I know, know what come I'm on, doing. the guy that turned Lionel Messi into the greatest player <laughs> of all time. You'd think let's maybe just trust him with Phil Foden, but you know, 
no, you know, everyone knows better. But anyway, so he's finally, he brought him through at the exact right moment because Foden has had time to develop physically, had time to develop mentally, mature. Tactically, he's now got a better understanding. So he's come through exactly the right moment and he's been flying. I mean, he's not played that much. He's played 1,400 uh, minutes, give or take, in the Premier League, which is not that often. But in the Champions League, this is where it's interesting, with the exception of the first game, uh, where he only played 20 minutes at the end as a sub. He's started every other game in the Champions League this season, and he's played at least 69 minutes. Played 90 minutes a whole bunch of times. And, you know, so he's become, a, he's again, and we mentioned, I mentioned earlier, uh, poor Raheem Sterling uh, for Sat 11. And, the, you know, Foden is one of the two people that's done that. Riyad Morris is the other. Riyad Morris is 30. Will Foden is 20. Foden is just, he's so good. It's like, obviously, just individually to watch him right he's great he dribbles he's quick he's got pace he runs in behind he does almost everything you'd want a winger to do really and uh you see what he what he does and it's like okay but then you you think about it as well tactically how important he is city don't play with a striker this season and part of the reason why they've not do that is especially in europe is because phil foden is so goddamn good like he's your goal threat okay when the striker you need a midfielder that's going to run in behind the way pedro used it for barcelona for instance right when they play false nine he does that, what Pedro did, what David Villa did. He makes those diagonal runs into space. He pushes, stretches teams out. He provides a genuine option. When he plays left wing, he can go outside on his left foot and cross the ball. The old Leo Sane cutback, he's great at those. There's almost nothing he can't do. Like it, it, I mean, he, I mean he, he, he was the decisive figure in the, semi, in the quarterfinal whenever Dortmund scored a goal in each leg, right? 90th minute match winner or something in the first leg it was, you know, and then in the second leg, I mean, he should have also been as, as not as, but as almost as decisive as Mares in the second leg. He missed those two chances in one in each leg. Two months, three months ago, the calls for Phil Foden to start for England either didn't exist or were completely stupid. They were like, are you mad? What, what's wrong with, no, relax. Now, if he doesn't start for England, you're almost thinking, what's wrong with Southgate? Three months, he's he's shot out of like out of a cannon. He's come out of nowhere, and in 2021, really, it's just you know mind blogging, mind blogging, mind blowing. I can't even speak. That's how good he is. <laughs> and uh, the markets think that it's pretty tight between them. When we look ahead to Euro 2020, as you say, they're both expected to be in Gareth Southgate squad. And according to William Hillard's, Phil Foden is five to one to win the Euro 2020 Young Player of the Tournament, and Mason Mount just behind him at six to one, alongside Chelsea teammate Kai Havertz. For the overall player of the tournament, Phil comes in at twenty to one. Mason Mount's a bit further back at 33 to 1, but there's still a running Chelsea link. Romelu Lukaku 20 to 1 and Eden Hazard at 25 to 1. Right. Predictions, the tough one. Um, Harry, we're going to go to you first. The Chelsea angle. Tuchel does seem to have a little bit of an edge over Pep. Based on the last two games, Premier League, FA Cup semi final, he ended the, the quadruple dream, the quadruple, quadruple, I'm catching your uh, speech <laughs> disorder there, Mo. He does look to have a little advantage over him, but there's so much pep pressure on Pep to win the Champions League that Tuchel can kind of operate on the side of that amount of pressure ahead of the final. Yeah, and I think, like you said, Tuchel has somehow got Pep's number. So, well, certainly in the, in the last two games, um, you know, Chelsea, something that we haven't seen in the past few few matches, not against City, Chelsea took their chances against Man City, both in the FA Cup semi-final and in the Premier League game. You know, everyone for the Premier League game certainly obviously talks about Aguero and that Penenka, which, you know, allowed Chelsea to then get back into the game and take their chances. Um, I do also think, though, that Man City will probably be more buoyed by... By form in recent weeks, by the fact that they are Premier League champions, I mean Chelsea. Um, just looking at the the game against Arsenal and the FA Cup final against Leicester, there, you know that that Tuchel long term new manager bounces has kind of hit a slump. You know, it's all about how Chelsea now get over this. You know, we've seen two games where they've struggled to score against a team that that can defend. I know obviously Man City won't set up to defend. They'll be more open than Arsenal and Leicester were. But I think it'll be a real big ask for for Chelsea's attack to 
you know, make it third, you know, three in a row. Um, so I've probably got my pessimist hat on a little bit, but I, I do see Man City taking their chances and, and edging it. And Mo, looking at City, obviously you mentioned Guardiola, the, the entire project that he's been involved in at City has been built almost towards this one night in Portugal where he almost has to win it because he he's built his, his reputation on, I will win the Champions League for Manchester City. We mentioned Aguero's famous quote at the, the start of the podcast about him not wanting to leave the club until he'd won the Champions League. But Chelsea have proved to be the the, um, the fly in the ointment for them in the last few weeks when everything seemed to just be going absolutely flawlessly. Chelsea have, have stopped them in their tracks, beat them in the Premier League to disrupt the kind of feel-good uh, vibe around winning the title and then obviously knocked them out of the FA Cup. Do you think that is going to follow the pattern in the final or do you think just all that pressure being on Pep will be enough to get them over the line? There's two competing things here. Uh, the first thing is that obviously, yes, Tuchel's had Guardiola's number in the f- past couple of games for Man City where his team has sat deep. They're frustrated. City, City have not taken their chances and then uh, Chelsea have uh, counted. Although, again, in the semi-final, we, we, we tend to forget maybe that essentially Zach Steffen gave Chelsea a goal. And, uh, you know, if he doesn't do that, and we've seen this again in the last couple of games for Chelsea, if teams don't make mistakes, like one thing Tuchel's done quite cleverly, really, because absent the fact that any none of his players really look like they want to score goals, apart from Mason Mount, um, and Pulisic sometimes, what what he's done is he built, he's built a team that presses really well, sort of so organised that basically they force you into a sense of, you make a mistake, right? Every, like three, four, five games in a row, Chelsea's opponent would make a mistake. Chelsea would score a goal from that. And once they're 1-0 up, good luck, right? They're going to shut you down and that's it. You're, it's over. What we've seen in the last couple of games against Arsenal and Leicester is teams that set up to not make that mistake. And they were very defensive as a result. And Chelsea didn't really necessarily have the the ingenuity to break them down because they haven't really managed to integrate Hakim Ziyech into their system. For some whatever reason, uh, he's not really been that good this season. Uh, he's had his moments, but he's not really. He's the guy that should be there to unlock these defenses, right? And he's not really settled. And Werner's not. Werner's, Werner's using against low blocks. Havertz hasn't really set. They, they need a, another season of, of cooking. You know, they're underdone in, in attack. The players are all there. The talent is all there. They just need another season of time together, right? Um, but that's that's going to be a problem. So if, if Chelsea show up and Chelsea nick a goal, Chelsea force a mistake from Man City, you can see them doing it. But Pep Guardiola has played in 15 or 14 one-off finals. It's not super cups, like one-off cup, cup finals. He's, he's only lost once. He's won 14 of them. The only team to beat him was uh, Jose Mourinho's Real Madrid, the most expensive team, well, at the time, most expensive assembled team ever. Cristiano Ronaldo, Karim Benzema, Angel Di Maria, Xabi Alonso, Car- yeah. Uh, Kaka, I think he came off the bench in that game. Pepe, Sergio Ramos, Marcelo. This is like murderer's row of, of big game players, you know. Uh, that Real Madrid final, Copa del Rey final, won it after extra time. And it's a world-class header from Cristiano Ronaldo that won the game. Guardiola wins these games, man. He wins these games. He wins them. And it, it's not maybe not always pretty, but he wins these one-off finals. He knows how to do it. Sarri came very close. Took him to penalties, remember? Sarri did very well in the League Cup final. It's very hard to beat Pep in these games. I don't think City, I don't think Chelsea, they have the talent to do it, but I don't, the way, the way they've been playing lately, I don't see any of their forwards stepping up to deliver in the big game. I don't see it happening. Uh, I think Mount will be very good, but I think they'll just, they'll somehow miss chances. Timo Werner is obviously born to make miss these chances. You can see him missing one from like 12 yards out, can't you? I think City win it 1-0. I'm gonna make it. Uh, I'm gonna make it three for three. All the signs just seem to be pointing between him finally getting his hands on the Champions League as Manchester City boss. Guys, we're gonna call it there for part one and take a quick break. In part two, we're gonna be looking ahead to the Europa League final. Manchester United up against Villarreal. Two managers in Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and Unai Emery desperately in need of a trophy. And we're gonna also be chatting to Dr. Rajpal Bra. He's gonna be talking about Harry Maguire's injury and the likeliness of the England international being fit in time for the final we'll catch you in a second hello and welcome back to the squawker talker champions league and europa league preview podcast this special episode is brought to you by our sponsors william hill 
We've already touched on the Champions League final and all the pressure surrounding Pep Guardiola ahead of a big, big night in Portugal. We're flicking our attention over to the Europa League now. Manchester United up against Villarreal. Mo, we'll start with you on this. Raj, we're joined by uh, you to look at Harry Maguire's injury and then preview United's situation going into the final. But United have been quite solid in the Europa League this season, Mo, and, and quite an impressive record in 2021. They've not lost a Premier League game having had a Thursday night and then playing on the Sunday. So there does seem to be a bit more steel in the team reacting to European football and then the demands of turning that over 72 hours later and, and playing in the Premier League. But ultimately, it does all come down to this. There's no cup competitions left. The race for top four is essentially over. It all comes down to whether Solskjaer can cope with the pressure of a big final. He knows, United fans know, that he wants that first trophy as, as United manager. And there's the potential for the first European trophy for them since 2017 when they won it under Jose Mourinho. All the pressure is on United and Solskjaer and very little of it on Villarreal. Yeah, it's 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 a weird lopsided final in that way in terms of expectation. No one thinks Villarreal are going to do anything, um, which is weird because they've got Mr. Europa League as their manager. But uh, you know, with United, they've done really well to get this far, and they've got a really they've got a really really high powered attack, right? Like a really high powered attack. Edison Cavani phenomenal semi final against Roma. Uh, just they're really really impressive. The midfield is kind of ropey it's kind of like kind of whatever like it's, it's a bit they're workers they're hard workers Scott McTominay Fred they're not exceptional for instance and but it's that's generally been enough this season because the attack has been so good and the defense has been so good with Juan Masaka with Harry Maguire with David De Gea and Dean Henderson the, the thing the big thing is Harry Maguire is not going to play the final so that that's going to condition a lot of can United rely on their defense if Maguire isn't there now I think Twanzebi should be given the shot the start uh, alongside Victor Lindoff. Let's see if it's him or it's Eric Bailly. I mean, we'll see. That's going to condition a lot of it. But, you know, United definitely need this win. They need they need a trophy under Solskjaer because they've made so much progress since they signed Bruno Fernandes, right? The, the Bruno Fernandes era, you know, 2020 to now. They've made all this, but they've become a legitimate side again. They're genuine threat. They're second in the league, comfortably second. They've been really good. To great at times this season. They've had they've had moments where they've not looked very good at as well, but they've been really generally pretty impressive. But all of that progress, as Spurs will attest to, means nothing if you don't win a trophy. You can progress up the league all you want, up the coefficients all you want. If you don't win anything, what does it even matter? I mean, United fans do not need to be told about the virtues of winning trophies. So Solskjaer really needs this. On the flip side, Uno Emery, I mean, he's a great coach and he's done really, really well with Villarreal. You know, it would be nice for him to to win it, to obviously because he just wins this thing all the time. That's what he does. But uh, at the same time, I don't know if he necessarily needs it. Like only Arsenal fans really thought any less of him after he failed with Arsenal. Everyone else sort of understood Arsenal are kind of a mess, bro. Everyone fails there. Don't worry about it. <laughs> you know. Whereas, uh, yeah, I, I I think it's the narrative of sort of of of, the, of Ole versus Emery is like it's tricky. But I think um, I think United need it more than a than a than Villarreal do. I think Villarreal would be lovely, it'd be wonderful, but unexpected, but United need to win this game, man. Raj, we'll look at Villarreal in just a second, but as Mo said, you look at Solskjaer and the potential of this narrative of, of him up against Emery in the final is, is obviously a bit of a subplot to the game itself, but you look through that United team and this crop that Solskjaer has developed, particularly in the last 12 to 18 months, in terms of a major trophy, a lot of them haven't won it. This, for some of them, will be their first major final and trying to make a trying to make an impact. A lot of them are obviously going to go away then on international duty for the European Championships and the, and the Copper America this summer. So, this is an opportunity for players who either haven't played in a final for United or haven't won a trophy at United to feel what it is like to go into that. And mentally, that's going to be a, a bit of a question mark on certain players before the game. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, pressure does interesting things, right? It typically goes one of two ways. You can go the Barcelona-Liverpool route <laughs> and capitulate, or you can <laughs> ri- rise up to the you can rise up to the challenge and and, and meet that pressure and, and become a better player, right? And like you said, though, the only way to know it is to go through it. And so, being in this high pressure, pressure situation will help prepare some of these guys either for the Euros or just for the rest of their careers in general. But it's always interesting to see how players respond 
and even more interesting for United if Maguire doesn't play, who is by and large their vocal captain who's able to to calm them down a bit, right? So that's another added factor to how players may react to pressure. Mo, you called Unai Emery Mr. Europa League before, and I think that's pretty fair. He's the most successful manager in the in the history of the competition since it's been reformatted. But obviously that was during his time at Sevilla. At Arsenal, he tasted defeat in the in the final against Chelsea. But given the fact that he has this record in the competition of when it really counts, he wins that will be something that will count against Solskjaer because he hasn't won a major final with United. And Emre, Villarreal, this is their first ever major final. They'll be happy to be in United's shadow in the build-up because they know, without doing them down, but they know that they're happy to be there. They're happy to have qualified for a major final. Whereas Manchester United, it's demanded that not only you qualify for major finals, that you actually go on and win them. Oh, look, man. Villarreal, the town Villarreal, is the size of Macclesfield, right? Let's not, let's not, this is not even in any way, shape or form an equal fight. Man United are a goliath and, and, Mac, and uh, Villarreal are, a, are very much, I mean, they're phenomenal. They've got great European history. They've got a great history of performance, but they are a David. The fact this is their first final, they've come close. They had their Champions League semi-final against Arsenal 2006, remember? Champions League quarter-final against Arsenal. They've got the Europa League semi-finals before as well. They're a really, really proven, storied sort of European outfit. A great team in La Liga. They're well-organised, but... They're not even close. Like you said, absolutely correct. The expectation of United is you win trophies. Really, Alex, like, look, compete. Do yourself proud. Compete. Try and win trophies. Sure. But if you can't, no one's going to kill you for it, right? But, you know, now they've got Emery. They've got this really good team. They've pinched a couple of players off Valencia, Danny Padejo, and uh, um, Francis Coquelin, ex-Arsenal guy. They've got, they've got a really sort of... They've got a good team, a team good enough to beat Man United, frankly if we're being honest, right? Like, this is the thing, especially without Maguire. They've got a team that's definitely good enough to beat Man United. Uh, you know, with Parejo and and Coquelin, I'm not even exaggerating. They've got a better midfield than Man United. Um, I'm not including Bruno Fernandes as a midfielder there. That's why that is. But, you know, like, McTominay and Fred versus uh, Parejo and Coquelin. If it comes down to a midfield battle, I know who I'm backing, right? And it ain't the United boys. So... United need to make sure it doesn't become a midfield battle. They need to try and run in transition. But then if you open open the game up, you open yourself to Gerard Moreno, 29 goals in 44 games this season. He's lethal. He's liquid. Carlos Baca just got a hat-trick for Avirial, and he's, he's a backup. So, look, they're a potent team. They're not Maybe they're not expected to win much, but they can absolutely win this game. They can absolutely hurt. Uh, uh, United and if United aren't on, aren't focused and are on their game, they're going to have to. Like Rod says, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how they deal with pressure. We've seen before Rashford deals with pressure pretty well, right? We've seen he he can handle it. Cavani we know can handle pressure. We've seen him do it mm-hmm. so many times for very many many clubs. But ev- everyone else, we don't know in in a final. I mean, Bruno Fernandez has been absolutely incredible, but again, we've not seen him in a final. Remember, Thierry Henry was one of the greatest players of all time, but in finals he was not very good. So we don't know if Bruno Fernandes is going to show up. Pogba, we've seen show up as well. Sorry, I should forget. I forgot Pogba, World Cup final. You know, so we know he can handle it just a, just a bit. But, you know, there's there's a few guys that can handle it, but ma- vast majority of them wan Saka, very good. What about finals? Luke Shaw, same thing. Uh, David De Gea actually won this competition almost a light, over a decade ago now to, with Atletico Madrid. I think it was 2009-10, I want to say. He won it when he was like 19. So... You know, he's been there, but that was almost so long ago, it's like you can't even count it, really. Like, he's a completely different player now to the one he was then. But there is a core of of United players that know what it's like to handle the pressure. The others are going to be important because they have to match the level. And, of course, the, the key thing, again, I come back to it, is the midfielders aren't any of the players that have proven they can handle pressure at the final. And that's where I'm really worried for United. And Raj, as Mo said, when you look at the United team, that there is still a bit of a question mark over so many of them and, and their performances in finals. And then when you look through that spine of the Villarreal team, Pau Torres and Raul Albiol at the back, Albiol's been around the block. He's played in Serie A, La Liga. Pau Torres is one of the most highly rated defenders in Europe. Coquelin, very experienced. Danny Pareco has been around in La Liga for well over a decade. And then Moreno up top, who's on absolute fire and probably in pole position to be Spain's number nine at the European Championships this summer. So there's plenty for United to be maybe not fearful of, but certainly wary of, given the fact that they have those players running right the way through the middle of the team. There's the real scope to cause United plenty of problems. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think we saw in that second leg, even versus Arsenal, which was a high pressure match in which if they give up one goal, they're out at least in, you know, in the second half. And so they're also, te- they've been tested more recently in that pressure than Manchester United have. And like you said, they responded quite, quite well, especially I think Albiol, especially Coughlin, who made a couple, you could say potentially, you know, uh, game saving tackles in the box. And so, you know, you just see the way they play, they're composed, especially, I didn't, I watch Albiol play. He's very tricky. He, He's very good at baiting the refs, but he understands how to let the pressure off his team. He understands the little nuances of how that affects the flow of the game and how sometimes taking getting the ball back, winning that possession, getting a free kick can just help settle the team, right? And so it's those little those little things throughout the game that can help you deal and mitigate some of that pressure so things don't 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 then snowball into something far worse and it versus a Manchester United team like Mo was talking about who's trying to hit you quickly on the break in transition right you need someone who can settle your team down in that regard Raj looking at the Maguire situation in terms of his injury Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has been quite straight when he's been asked about it by the media uh, he said he'll give Maguire every opportunity to be fit in time for the final but ankle ligament damage suffered at the start of this month he's missed the last two games which as Mo touched on before, they've, they've lost and they've really struggled without him, not just as a defender, but as an organiser and as a, as a leader. Just looking at the injury itself before we get into how United react if Maguire does miss out, what are the chances? Solskjaer, as I say, he's been relatively cagey, but the signs don't look good, but we know that Maguire will will do anything he can to be, uh, to be fit in time to lead them out. Yeah, it's tough. So he has what's called a high ankle sprain. Typically, that takes about four to six weeks. He has 17 days to get back from that. Now, there are protocols where you can come back quicker, but it comes with a much higher risk of re-injury. And that also doesn't mean that the player is going to be himself when it comes to movement, right? And then also, we know that he has euros coming up. What if he does get back and re-injure himself and he's out for that, which is obviously a risk factor. Also, what if he comes back and he's not himself during the game? Do you use an early, I mean, do you risk using an early sub on him and then completely kind of messing up your your cohesion on the pitch as well, right? So there's so many factors here. I'm sure Maguire's going to want to come back. I, I'd be very surprised if it happens. Um, I mean, I think it's almost like, 70%, 75% chance he's not back for all those reasons. I mean, yeah, this is, this is the, 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 what you mentioned about using early sub is the key, right? We all, we've seen this so many times where you rush a player back for a final and they're just not ready. And like Diego, Diego Costa in the 2014 Champions League final against Real Madrid is the big one, right? The one, the one that we stands out to memory. When Aleko, he was their talisman at Aleko Madrid that season, they rushed him back from, I think it was a hamstring problem. He was not fit, played like five minutes, and and then they had to go off. And it was just like, you wasted a sub. And then that sub would have won them the game because then they could have brought on Adrian later in the game for David Villa, who was exhausted. And they could have more better counter-attacked and they wouldn't have been so defensive and they wouldn't have conceded the corner that led to the equaliser, that led to them losing the final. So, you know, it's it's that was a dramatic example. But that's, you know, if you start Maguire and he's not good. And he's, I mean, because he's not the most mobile anyway. Let's just put that out there. Yeah. Even when he's fit. Right, you you start Maguire. Have you heard of Sammy Chukwueze? Right, if you watch this guy play, if Maguire's not on it, Chukwueze is gonna Chukwueze will just injure him again just by running past him. He'll try and he'll adjust to try and catch him, and he'll just hurt himself again. So Maguire has to be one hundred and ten percent fit for the final to play. I would argue against against teams with Jared Moreno, Sammy Chukwueze that has that kind of movement and motion. And I don't think what from Roger said, I don't think he can be one hundred percent fit. Mo, you said before that your pick will be Axel Tunzebi to, to slot in for him alongside Lindelof, but the likelihood is that Solskjaer will, will probably go for Eric, Eric Bailly. Whoever comes in, it is going, going to be an issue because Maguire is so important. Will whoever comes in affect who plays in front of them? You said before it's likely to be Fred and McTominay, particularly without Maguire, to give that extra kind of shield of security because it's going to be an inexperienced defender alongside Lindelof. If he goes for Bayi, does it have to be Fred and McTominay or can he roll the dice and maybe be a bit more progressive with his midfield in front? Well, I mean, this is the one thing 
Like Maguire, Bailly is by far the most athletic Man United defender. Well, him and Tuan were both quite athletic. But uh, so it, you could argue that maybe you could only start one of Pogba, or Fred, and uh, well, one of McTominay and Fred, sorry, and you could put Pogba deeper because maybe you have a more athletic defender to cover for it. But at the same time, um, I don't, I don't think you would do that necessarily because I think at the same time you need that solid base. And Pogba has shown in the last few months that he's been really good pushing further forward from that more advanced role. Playing deeper, it's a different kind of role you're asking Pogba to do. And I think in big games especially, it's always kind of tricky because you're exposed to the press in that deep position. Pogba's not very press resistant. He's too tall for it, frankly. Um, like the only two, only press, press resistant tall player in the world, I think, is Busquets. Everyone else, just you press them and they just kind of struggle a bit if they're really tall. Uh, and I just think you look at it and you're thinking Coquelin will just be all over him, right? If he plays in that deeper role, Coquelin should be hitting him constantly, pressing him as soon as he gets the ball. And then if, if Pogba doesn't have time and space on the ball in that deeper role, then what's the point of playing him there if he can't pick his passes? So you're better off playing Pogba more advanced, I think. McTominay and Fred, I mean, it's the best of a bad situation, really, isn't it? Like, they're both workers. They're both hard workers. They can at least be trusted to sort of harry the uh, uh, the Villarreal midfielders, but they're not going to be able to progress the ball very well. But I think the thing is, because United don't have a defensive midfielder really of note, a true defensive midfielder like a Declan Rice or a uh, Wilfred Ndidi, they can't afford to take that more of a risk. Like, Matic, you can't put him in that situation because... I mean, God, you know, that's such a risk, right? Well, he, he could theoretically do well if he suddenly rolls back the years and plays like he, like he did in the semi-final. He played really well, but like that's a risk because if, if he doesn't roll back the years and have this amazing performance, you're, you're opening yourself up to get absolutely hammered in there. And so it's just, it's a, it's a problem you're not going to have to solve. I think it's a problem that will be solved by the most pragmatic solution, which is just McTominay and Fred. I think the reason I say Twanzebi over Bai, by the way, is because Twanzebi is better in the air than Bailly is. He's more also more reliable and more stable. Like he had, he started off pretty ropey in that Leicester game, uh, making a mistake in early on. But then after that early mistake, which led to the Leicester goal, he was brilliant. I mean, I know you know I lost that game because they played a whole second team, but he was really good. And I think what he what he has is a bit more of that leadership about him, a bit more of that stand up and take charge, put his, his body on the line, get in, get in the way across. And remember, the one thing is. Harry Maguire did not play Man United's victory in P- in Paris this year. He didn't when Man United beat PSG in Paris. Harry Maguire was no. injured; he didn't play. Axel Tuanzebi played. Mm. Axel Tuanzebi was amazing. Now, admittedly, that was a different kind of performance. That was a rear guard. He was in one of a back three, and it was like back to the wall sort of thing. But he was still, nevertheless, amazing. And United have United's record without Maguire is pretty. I mean, it's pretty bad, right? Like, I mean, they've won three games without him, but they've all been in the cups. Uh, they obviously won they beat one in Paris without him. They won, they beat Granada without him in the second leg of that game after winning the first leg. But if you watch that game, Granada should have scored at least once, probably more than once. Yeah, Yangel Herrera missed a couple, hit the woodwork a couple of times. They, they missed some chances without Maguire. He was suspended in that game. United, you could see, you know, missed him. And then, obviously, also Maguire uh, missed uh, the Brighton game in the FA, in the FA Cup. But that doesn't really count. You know, but then the league, he obviously he's missed the last two league games against Leicester and against Liverpool, and United have sorely, sorely missed him in those games. Yeah. And so that's the big concern is that, you know, I mean, obviously, yeah, you can do what you want in midfield, but it's just having missing miss Maguire's leadership at the back is going to open things up so much from for Moreno and Chukwesi. You can't rush. It's just catch twenty two for Solskjaer. You can't rush him back because, as I said, as Raj said, you know, he's not going to be have his full range of mobility. Yeah, he's not going to be ready. Yeah, and then, but then also without him, it's still you just you're hoping and praying that 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 uh, Bai or Tuanzebi, whoever it is, can hold on. Looking ahead, predictions wise, Raj, the key variables from both sides. Solskjaer is the first Man United player to win uh, a European trophy and then lead the club into a final up against, as Mo said, Mister Europa League in in Emre, who doesn't have some of the stars in his team that Solskjaer has at his disposal at United. And obviously, as we said, Bizarreal, this is their first final. They're two very different situations. You've got Solskjaer, who's an absolute novice as a manager in these finals. Emre, who's full of experience. United, you would say, individually have better players, but Villarreal seem to have maybe a better unit. And United are more than likely going to be without Harry Maguire. Which do you think is going to be the decisive factor in terms of how this tips and and who's going to win it? I think the Maguire, missing Maguire, is going to be massive for them just because of what we talked about. He's the organizer, and this is a high-stress game. You're, you're, you're getting asked a lot of questions already. Now you don't have one of your main guys who can help solve those questions for your entire team. 
and you know Emery's gonna have you know his boys ready to go. He always produces good games in the Europa League, and so I think that will be the deciding factor. You know, I'm I actually lean Villarreal for that reason, almost a two-one game to them. Um, and the the big X factor with Manchester United as to me is always Bruno because he, he's he's been so good he can change a game with his ability to, whether it's to, to distribute right he's he just he's just been great so he can completely turn a game on one play and that can change a final it can change a game so but obviously Emery knows that so it's how do you take him out of the game is the question Mo yourself you've kind of put the case forward for United and then taking it away and then, and then put it back forward again and <laughs> heading into a big final. It is obviously tense. And yeah. Solskjaer, as you mentioned, in, in terms of experience as a manager in finals, he doesn't have it. He has it as a player. He's yeah. part of arguably yeah, yeah. the most famous moment in the history of Manchester United in European competition. But there is a few question marks. Maguire, you know, we've, we've talked about him and the likelihood that he's probably going to miss out. Are you still confident that just that star quality, the likes of Bruno Fernandes, Marcus Rashford, Will have enough to win it for United? Yes, just about, just about, because I think I think as good as as good as Unai Emery is, and I think Manu Trigueros and Coquelin will press Pogba and Bruno Fernandes like crazy and try and deny them the ball. I don't think he'll quite, quite go full Bielsa and have someone man mark Bruno, but like it's not a bad idea. I mean, he's got twenty eight goals this season, joint most ever for a Premier League player in all competitions. Uh, he could he could have broken the record by the time the final was around, to be honest. He's you know he's amazing. He has been incredible. He is the go man for for Man United in midfield. But the reason I give United the edge is not not Bruno because I think Vera have an answer for that. It's not a uh, uh, Pogba even. I think it's Edison Cavani. I think that's that's mm-hmm. the difference because okay, look, Mason Greenwood's very talented, great sharpshooter, but he's also nineteen years old. He's very or twenty years old, very young, inexperienced. Marcus Rashford is utterly incredible and phenomenally clutch, but he's also carrying about six different injuries. He hasn't played with that pain for two years. Um, I think he, he he just needs like six, like two months of just solid rest. Just leave him alone on a beach somewhere to chill. They're not going to happen. I don't know how fit he's going to be. He's carrying so many injuries. Cavani is utterly world-class. Probably can't go for a whole season anymore because of his age. But look at him in the semifinals, uh, like four, four goals and three assists over the two legs against Roma. He's devastatingly good. He's so intelligent with his movement. He's so uh, uh, sharp when he gets the chances to score goals. He can take different kinds of finishes, left foot, right foot in the air. He can run in behind. He can attack the ball in the air. He can come short. And I just think that's the that's going to be the difference. A genuine a genuine world-class striker. Now, I mean, Moreno's playing very well. Rasha's playing very well. Bruno Fernandes is playing very well. Edison Cavani is a world-class striker. One of the literally the five best strikers in the world the last 10 years. Uh, he's, he's a bit older now. But there's still the quality is still there, um, and I think he's going to be the difference. I think ultimately it'll be like a cross, whatever it is, and he'll be the decisive factor. I think United will win three one. I think they'll it will be two one for most of the game, and then they'll probably nick one right at the end to make it seem more comfortable than it actually was. But I think United will win two one, and I think Cavani will score at least once, probably twice. Okay, I'm going to go with Raj. I, I can see Bidirel just nicking it, and I think the thing with Emery in terms of the severe finals that he won, I think. 50 to 70 minutes is always such a key portion of any final. And I think when Sevilla did win those games, that was when they won it because they, they never panicked and Emery won't panic, even though he knows Bizarreal don't have the experience that Sevilla do. He won't. Even if mm. even if Bizarreal are behind, he'll back his players to come good. And, and I just think if the situation is reversed on United and they start to feel the pressure because the expectation is on them, they... They might just start to crack a little bit, Mo. I'm sorry, but that's just that's just the way I'm going. No, 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 no. I, I can see, I can actually see your point. And of course, the one downside to, to starting Cavani—it's not really a downside, but it's that all your eggs are on the pitch, or all your best players are already on the pitch, right? Uh, well, no, maybe not actually. Sorry, maybe uh, Greenwood will be off the bed actually. If he starts Cavani, Rashford, Pogba, Fernandez. Fred and McTominay. Yeah, Greenwood will be on the bench to come off the bench, maybe. So maybe there'll be a little bit of hope for a game changer. But yes, obviously Solskjaer, um, uh, the main night manager, is not going to necessarily... Uh, he can't read again like Emery. Emery's a genius at reading games, makes adjustments all the time. Really, really good. Like you said, he always adjusts very well. He beat Liverpool in a Europa League final with a right with a backup right-back scoring twice. I mean, you know, what yeah. more can you say about a man who does that? Um, he's special, but I just think... I, th- I think ultimately United will have literally just got too much, too much firepower for him. Uh, Villarreal will suffer but at the same time 
Samu Chukweze up against... Uh, Luke Shaw's been very good this season, but Samu Chukweze running at, at Victor Lindelof. Just, yeah, that's going to be It's funny. a terrifying thought. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I think that seems like the perfect point to end it on. Uh, Mo's silence and he's worrying about Victor Lindelof. Mo, Raj, thanks so much for your time. No worries. Cheers. That's it for the Squawker Talker Champions League Europa League preview podcast. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you again very, very soon. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com.